The Sports Gambling Podcast is presented by MyBookie.ag. MyBookie.ag is the official online sportsbook of the Sports Gambling Podcast. Props, parlays, in-game wagering, MyBookie.ag has it all. And if you sign up using the promo code SGP50, you'll receive a 50% deposit bonus. With MyBookie.ag, you play, you win, you get paid. The Sports Gambling Podcast is also brought to you by DraftKings.com. Use code SGP and enter the all-new single-game showdown contest this Thursday to compete for a $1 million top prize in the NBA Finals. That's code SGP to compete for the $1 million top prize exclusively at DraftKings. So there you have it. That's how we got to the miracle Champions League final between Tottenham Hotspurs and Liverpool. Both teams were absolutely down and out. Going into those semifinals to qualify, Liverpool were available at 16 to 1 and Tottenham were available at 5 to 2 to qualify. So it's a massive miracle that we got here, let alone the fact that Tottenham were 2-0 down at half-time in their game. So their price also rose in play to 16-1 to for them to qualify. I actually saw a correct score special on Skybet offering Tottenham to win 3-2 at 25-1. to Man, I wish I had some money on it. I did get involved in playing Tottenham when they were 2-1 down, just basically down to how, because of how crazy the Champions League's been all season. It has been our worst tournament. We are 15-11 and 11 with the locks, and that really doesn't compare to what we've done elsewhere in the season. We are 
31 and 7 with our European show. You can get that over at lockbetting.com. That's finished now for the season. We were 45 and 11 right here on the SGP network with the EPL show. And with our Europa League picks, we were 13 and 2 for the season. Now, I know a lot of people primarily want to focus on the Champions League, but we are going to give you the Europa League as well because that is also an all English final and it's between Chelsea and Arsenal and it takes place tomorrow. So we're going to start with the Europa League final and all throughout this Europa League tournament I have been picking Chelsea I have been saying that they are the best team in the tournament without a doubt on paper if they go for this tournament they will win it even with the teams coming down from the Champions League I still maintain that Chelsea were the best bet now they started this tournament as the 9-2 favourites at the latter stages, it changed to two to one. That's the point where I took it as a pick for my members, and then I reiterated this pick at round about ten to eleven at the semi the semi final stages. I do believe so. We are quite deep into Chelsea, and at this juncture, their odds are eight to eleven to win this trophy, and Arsenal are available at even money. Chelsea are thirteen to ten to win it in ninety minutes. It's twenty three to ten to draw. And it's 21 to 10 on Arsenal. Now, this one is tough on the basis that Arsenal have played well in one of the games against Chelsea this season where they beat Chelsea in the league quite convincingly. Now, whether Arsenal can turn up and do it on the road in Baku remains to be seen. Arsenal have been very inconsistent on the road, but this is a neutral game. This isn't going to Chelsea's ground. It's neutral here at Baku. So we really have zero data to support how Arsenal fare on neutral territory. We can only look at their away form, uh, which hasn't been very good. But if we also look at Chelsea's away form, that hasn't been very good either. In Europe, though, Arsenal's last two away games, having have seen them beat both Valencia and Napoli away from home. So Arsenal are a different animal in Europe. In addition to that, their manager, Emre, has won this competition on three separate occasions with Sevilla. So he's the king of the Europa League. As for Sarri, there's a lot of speculation that he needs to win this tournament in order to keep his job, despite finishing third in the Premier League this season. There's also a lot of speculation that this will be Eden Hazard's final game for Chelsea. So he's could be his final game as a Chelsea player with Madrid set to table a massive bid to take him away. However, they have yet to match Chelsea's asking price of 130 million and are currently refusing to do so because they uh, are aware of the fact that this is Hazard's final year and next season they can get him for free. So they don't understand why they want to pay $130 million for him when they can get him for free next season. So this isn't anybody questioning the value of Hazard. However, the valuation is skewed by the fact that uh, Hazard is in his final year. And if you can wait 12 months to get someone for free, why would you pay an astronomical sum of $130 million? They are willing to pay somewhere in the region of 70 or 80 million for him. But Chelsea are holding out for 130, all they'd rather keep in. And bearing in mind that Chelsea are banned from making transfers for two transfer windows, you can understand why they're hesitant to let him go. However, my question would be, 
if Hazard doesn't want to play for you, then what kind of Eden Hazard are we going to see for Chelsea next season if he stays? He knows that Real Madrid are trying to sign him and that's where he wants to go. And if he's made to stay at a club he doesn't want to be at for 12 months, is he going to throw his toys out the pram? Is his performances going to dip? Is he going to sulk? We will find all of that out if Hazard stays. I don't think it's likely that he will stay. And um, we could get a taste of um, a sulky Eden Hazard as early as tomorrow because he will know that Chelsea have already turned down bids for him. Now, he would probably expect Chelsea to play hardball to a certain extent. And uh, I think that would be natural. It would only really manifest itself into negative performances if Hazard was to be made to stay all the way to next season. I don't think it's going to come as early as the Europa League final. Um as I said, Chelsea uh, were the team that I picked, but the situation has kind of changed in terms of who really needs to win this game. And that's, that's, that's consistent throughout both these cup finals. You have a Liverpool team that are already in next season's Champions League final. So it really is all about a trophy. You have Tottenham who are already in a Champions League. So for them, it's about a trophy as well. And that's two teams that are heavily criticised for not winning trophies. You have Chelsea, who regularly win trophies, who are looking to win another one. And of course, there are strong rumours that their manager's job is on the line. And then you have Arsenal, who don't have Champions League football. They're the only team here that don't have Champions League football out of all the four. And they need to win this game to have Champions League. And of course, to continue Unai Emery's success in this tournament. For Chelsea players, they don't need to win it. It's just a case of them adding a trophy to what has been a pretty successful season. So it's surprising to me that there's so much criticism of Sarri and why there are reports out there that he needs to win this game to keep his job. But that is in fact the case. So how motivated will Chelsea be at the end of the day, um, although it means more to Arsenal, I think that Chelsea will still be motivated to win this cup. It's a cup competition. It's a big achievement on, on players' records to win the Europa League. It might not be big to some who have won other bigger and better tournaments before, like you have league winners in the Chelsea team. I don't think that it matters too much to Eden Hazard's legacy, but he will be a player that wants to sign off with a big win, not just for the fact that, not just for his own ego, but he owes this club. He he's he probably loves the club. He's had a lot of good years there. He's won titles there. He probably loves the supporters. The supporters love him. I don't think they hold him quite in the same regard as they do Terry and Lampard or even Didier Drogba. But I do think that Hazard will go down as an all-time great because you forget before Mourinho came along, Chelsea hadn't had any success for a long, long time, decades in fact. They, they were kind of relegated to a mid-table team. In fact, were a team that flirt, flirted with... Um, relegation at times so Chelsea aren't it's not a god-given right to be a big side and they're not familiar with it as much as the likes of Manchester United and Liverpool and Arsenal so these are the golden years and after Terry and Lampard passed by it was down to Eden Hazard to take over the mantle but even though he's been a key player I don't quite think that he has the love of the Chelsea fans but he has enough love for for the, for them to not want him to go and, 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 and even if he does for them to appreciate what he did there and I think he has enough love for them to put on a big performance here in the Europa League despite the fact that his Champions League football is guaranteed whether he stays at Chelsea or whether it goes to Madrid and as I said Champions League football is guaranteed for all of these players 
and guaranteed for three of the clubs. It's only Arsenal that have Champions League football on the line. It's only Arsenal that have their season on the line. And you wouldn't want to be an Arsenal fan if Arsenal fail to to win this competition tomorrow and Tottenham end up winning the Europa League, uh, sorry, the Champions League, based on the rivalry between Arsenal and Tottenham. But obviously, as betters here on the Sports Gaming Podcast Network, that's exactly what we want to happen because we have a long-term investment in Chelsea to win this tournament. And uh, I have my own hatred towards towards Liverpool. But in addition to that, I'd quite like the opportunity to back Tottenham Hotspur as an underdog in that game, which we'll move on to shortly. For an official pick on this game, as I said, we're already riding out Chelsea to win the tournament. They have the, the better team here. They have the better players. Um, it's only really for me... Uh, Aubameyang and possibly Lacazette that would get into this Chelsea side I can't really make a great case for Ozil can't make any case for defenders can't make any case for any other midfielders maybe Aaron Ramsey on a really good day but is he any better than the players that can't get in the Chelsea team the likes of uh, Ross Barkley the likes of Loftus-Cheek is is Ramsey a much better player than those te- those players that don't get looking in this, in the Chelsea midfield which was mainly occupied by uh, Kovacic and and Jorginho and Kante and, and Kante is still one of the best midfield and midfield players in the world and the fact that he's not playing holding midfield for Chelsea does get a lot of criticism from people because that's probably one of the main criticisms thrown at Surrey because of the, the way he's used Kante this season will Will Chelsea go with um, their main striker Higuain tomorrow will they end up going with Olivier Giroud Giroud's the player that's done it for them this season in the Europa League a lot of interesting decisions to be made a real interesting game and as I alluded to earlier it made more even more interesting by the fact that Arsenal had Chelsea's number earlier on in the league season and the neutral field element of it well makes it as well makes it interesting um, how many of the two team supporters are going to make it to Baku because there's a lot of talk about a lot of the fans giving tickets back and and having kind of a, a faded interest in this or just not wanting to pay out what it costs to get to Baku, which is a very strange arena to, to have this game in. Um, looking at some of the other markets here, uh, the both teams to score market probably interests me in this one. I don't think... Arsenal have any chance of keeping a clean sheet in this game, but they're so good on the attacking front with those two players up front in particular, Aubameyang and Lacazette, that you have to expect Arsenal to score in this game. Both teams to score is available at 4-6 minus 150. I like that bet in this game, but I won't venture to give a lockout in this particular game because as betters at lockbetting.com, we already have so much riding on Chelsea through the season and I do think they'll they'll get their job done. I don't think there'll be any major complacency, unless, of course, there's a real desire uh, within the dressing room to get rid of Sarri. And there's a real internal knowledge that, yes, if we fail to win this, uh, he will be gone. But I just don't think that footballers think like that. It's just not the done thing. Uh, whereas you see NFL teams tanking to receive a draft pick. This is a cup final. And last time Chelsea were in a cup final, they performed out of their skin and had opportunities to beat Man City. And in the end, they lost on a penalty shootout. Uh, You saw Chelsea's reaction to making it to this final. I just don't think that's going to be a factor. And it doesn't matter so much uh, who needs it the most sometimes. Like, just because Arsenal need it doesn't mean that they're a better bet than Chelsea. Just because Arsenal really need to win this game for Champions League football. This is about 11 versus 11. And the fact is, is that 
Chelsea have 11 players on the pitch that want to win this trophy. They want this on their resume. They want to be Europa League winners. It doesn't matter if they're managed by Sarri or whether they like them or not. They have 11 better players on the pitch than Arsenal do that want to win this game. And for me, that would be the, de- the deciding factor. It doesn't, doesn't matter in terms of who wants it the most. Um, on the side bet, as I mentioned, I do like both teams to score. I think Arsenal have a great attack. And even though Chelsea are better than Arsenal defensively, tomorrow they go in with uh, David Luiz and, and Christensen due to other injuries that Chelsea have picked up this season. And I, I don't really have a ton of faith in the centre-back pairing. Um, what I do have a ton of faith on is the goalkeeper, Kepa. I think Kepa's had an incredible season at Chelsea, especially for a first season. And uh, that penalty shootout debacle aside, he he would have been a contender of mine for the team in a tournament. Because he didn't have the clean sheet records of uh, Allison and, and Edison, he wasn't actually considered for it at all. But Kepa's had a great first season for Chelsea. That's been a really good signing. Uh, I'm not too sure where Chelsea need to strengthen when they can sign players. Again, obviously, um, they can't make any signings for two transfer windows. For This is going to be it for Chelsea for the next two windows. If they do let Eden Hazard go, um, they are really going to struggle with what they have left because then they're going to have to make it up with the likes of Willian and Pedro and Hudson Odoi is going to have to fulfil all the potential that, that people keep saying he's had. And Christian Pulisic, um, an American signing from Borussia Dortmund for $56 million, is going to have to hit the ground running. He's not going to get an adjustment season if he's coming in as the replacement for Eden Hazard. So there is still a lot of decent players left at Chelsea. Don't get me wrong. They have the likes of Loftus-Cheek there as well. Ross Barkley, Kante's still going to be there. A fairly solid back four, as I mentioned earlier. Kepa's a great goalkeeper. So it's not going to be doom and gloom for Chelsea at all, where they all of a sudden drop out of the top six. But it's going to be difficult for them to still challenge for trophies and um, get a Champions League spot without Eden Hazard. So I can't see them changing the manager despite the speculation at the same time. Unless, of course, they do want to bring in someone much younger like Frank Lampard and give him a season with these players Sui wants to keep and then give him a big, massive transfer kitty to buy a replacement for Hazard and other players. So maybe it will be acceptable for Lampard to come in. Maybe it's a throwaway season where Chelsea don't mind finishing sixth as long as Lampard can make decisions. That's what a lot of people thought the end of the season was for Manchester United um, with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. But... In the end, because he overachieved at the start, the ending of the season was massively disappointing. In addition to that, um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was always supposed to be a caretaker and only got the job because he did so well. And there was a real reality check from Manchester United at the end of the season. It'll be interesting to see how many Man United fans actually want Solskjaer to keep that job and spend all the money this summer that he speculated to get. This summer's going to be really, really interesting in terms of who signs for who signs for who and who goes where. Um, It's going to be one of the most interesting summers of all all time because a lot of clubs need a major rebuild, whereas a lot of other clubs are just one or two players away, like the likes of Liverpool, who, who lost the title to Man City by... Uh, a sing by a single point, and the the, the difference being that um, if they had a, a top class striker, and I'm not talking about Firmino, who's a false number nine, and obviously. Origi and Sturridge aren't quite good enough to be playing for a team that are going to win the league, even though 
Origi was um, key in their victory against Barcelona. I don't think he's quite the man to take Liverpool forward and, and challenge for the title again next season. I think Liverpool do need a top-class centre-forward. I do think they need a top-class partner for Van Dijk. I think Tottenham absolutely need to spend some money this season. I think Arsenal need to strengthen up in a lot of positions. And if you look at this combined 11 between the two sides, you'd be struggling to put a lot of Arsenal players, you know, I touched on that earlier and and I said quite clearly that Aubameyang and Lacazette would be it. And it, you'd get a very good team out of these out of these two sides if you started with Aubameyang and Lacazette up front and then added Eden Hazard to, to that front three and then the rest of the team behind it was all made up of Chelsea players but I still don't think you'd get a league winning team the reason as I said why both teams to score is so appealing is because none of these teams have particularly amazing players in any position at the back four at times um, it was said that Aspilicueta and Marcus Alonso were, were well class fullbacks well they certainly haven't looked like that this season and the fact that Aspilicueta has never really been a first choice fullback even for Spain kind of tells you that maybe he's slightly overrated in the English league where de where defending isn't really that paramount but at the same time um, when you look at these finals all the criticism that's thrown at the Premier League in the past doesn't seem to be as valid as it usually is because a lot of the time people turn around and say the Premier League is simply the most entertaining team but tactically the best league is La Liga well all of the Liga teams are out we're looking at four English clubs in the Europa League final and the Champions League final and of course the Champions League final aside from the World Cup is the biggest tournament in the world um, I would say then closely followed by um well, it's, well, it's hard. I would say closely followed by the 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 European Cup. It's 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 pretty much World Cup, Champions League, uh, the European Cup, and then after that, it's a massive argument as to whether it be the Copa America, the Europa. Obviously, I'm not counting domestic leagues in this because then it would be a real massive opinion fuckfest in terms of what leagues you want to win uh, for yourselves because. Um, it brings up the whole debate of the Premier League versus La Liga all over again. But I'm looking for outright knockout tournaments in world football. I would say the World Cup is number one and the Champions League is number two. And after that, I would pretty much say the, the European Cup is definitively third. Although if you're South American, you can't qualify to even play in that. So then I guess third place for you would be the Copa America. It's all a big mishmash of a debate that we're not really here to get into because it doesn't it doesn't lead to any gambling profit so we're not going to get into a uh, a topical football debate for absolutely no reason whatsoever especially when it's a one-man show and i don't even have anybody to debate with perhaps when we get james george back on his show next season we can start with um where priorities lie in terms of where you and where you and what you want to win um in my opinion, it would be your um, World Cup and Champions League first and second, either the Copper or the Euro, Euro, the European Cup, depending on what country you're from. And then I would say the, the number one cup competition 
in the world after that. Um, domestically, is still the FA Cup, but I would put the Europa League just above that in fourth. So that that would be my my top five. But I'm sure that would massively dif- differentiate from depending on who you asked and depending on what country that, that they lived in as well. Because I was surprising that when I was in the, the States and uh, I thought I could easily and readily access the English FA Cup, I found out that I had to buy... Uh, an additional channel, uh, ESPN Plus, to watch it. Now, that wasn't readily accessible. That wasn't even as accessible as the Premier League, which is readily available every time I'm over in the States on NBC. So it's weird. Um, It's a weird thing to put trophies in order and prioritize these things and and come up with a real um, concrete order of where players' priorities lies. I think the priorities at the moment is is just to win as many trophies as you possibly can and just to earn as much money as you can that is the modern day football at the end of the day and if you can do two things at once then that's obviously where you're going to go we spoke about Hazard a lot and he obviously feels that under Zidane at Real Madrid his opportunities to to win trophies and make a shit ton of money are going to be massively um, massively increased by this move to um, Real Madrid next season and I think that the move will happen but we'll be covering transfer moves here over on my website lockbetting.com I will be covering transfer betting throughout the summer so those of you on my $60 package make sure that you stay with that because we will be covering all of the transfers and the Copa America and the Nations Leagues and the Women's World Cup so there's still a ton of football to come but because it's going to be less football than there is throughout the season, my $60 package on lockbetting.com, which was, which was, which if you sign up to it, it will be the soccer pack. I made an announcement two days ago that that is now going to be the tournament pack. And the tournament pack is going to get you all of the soccer, plus it's going to get you the tennis grand slams and it's going to get you the Cricket World Cup. So that is a massive bonus that you're going to get the, the tennis grand slams, all of the soccer, the Cricket World Cup, and I missed out one as well, the Rugby World Cup as well. So all of the tournaments, both the World Cups, Cricket and Rugby, all of the Tennis Grand Slams, and all of your usual soccer, including the Nations Leagues and a Copa America. So the $60 package, I feel, actually has more value in these off months where people were thinking about them being off months, and I have seen a few people cancel. Don't do that. Make sure you still renew your soccer pack because you're going to get all of the soccer, all of the transfer news, including the Copa America, the Nations League, all the transfers, all the friendlies, all the Europa League qualifiers, plus I've thrown in tournament sports, two World Cups, cricket and rugby, and all of the tennis grand slams that go on throughout the months of June and July. So massive value there on a $60 pack. But of course, if, you, if you're with the $125 package, you're going to get all of that, plus you're going to get your NBA, plus you're going to get your Major League Baseball, plus you're going to get your boxing and your UFC, and you're going to get the PL, and you're going to get added to the WhatsApp group and you're going to get live plays and the WhatsApp group gives you access to me for Q&As all the time 24-7 I will answer all of your questions in there and of course the profit and loss chart where we've made over £2,000 every month quite regularly and this month we are well above that because all of our anti-post plays on football have finally cashed and we are currently sitting with three days to go at a total of £4,470 with our Chelsea Europa League bets pending that is our record month £4,470 comes to over $6,000 that people have made in the month of May I'm only charging $125 a month for my top package 
these guys have made £4,470, which translates to $6,000 profit in the month of May. Six grand in May, and we're killing it on the American sports as well. 51 and 20 NBA season, 10 and 4 so far in MLB, and they are not um, massive minus 200, minus 300 odds on plays. All of the plays are better odds than, than minus 150 generally, or they'll either be that or they'll be uh, two team parlay selections. We're doing pretty well on, on all fronts there on the MLB and I expect it just to improve throughout the season as the NBA did. Um, 51 and 20 is definitely my best ever NBA return. So make sure you check all of that out at lockbetting.com. And of course, once it returns, we will be betting on the NFL. And as I do this podcast, the NFL is just 100 days away. So make sure you check out lockbetting.com when that starts again. I will be putting out podcasts each week on the NFL. But of course, the best coverage for the NFL is admittedly here on the Sports Gambling Podcast through Ryan and Sean. A lot of the stuff that I learned about the NFL betting was through those guys. They've made me a much better better, and I can implement what I've learned from those guys into my betting, which is why I've been able to be successful. Now, even though both of those guys, especially Kramer, had a terrible season last year, I think that is certainly an, alum, an anomaly from the six or seven years that I've been listening to them. Usually, great analysis on that show, and great analysis anyway, win or lose. They were on the right track with all of the stuff they put out. You can't fault them for the analysis, just in the end, uh, the, the picks, especially the locks. The picks, I think, were fine in general, uh, especially Sean. I think Sean had a decent year with his picks, but obviously there was just a lock problem, especially from Ryan. And that's a rarity because every other year, Ryan's locks have been strong enough, strong enough to the point where I have myself the Ryan Kramer system where I will bet the locks and if it loses, I will confidently double up on the stakes the season after. Now, I'm not advocating or recommending this to you personally. It's just something that I do because I think it's a reliable strategy based on the historical success of the locks, but it's totally up to you the way you go. But I am expecting that to return to form this season and I'm looking forward to the NFL starting again in 100 days at lockbetting.com. We will not only be doing the NFL when the season starts, but look out for our anti-post bet. That includes division winners, outright winners, and of course, the the over-unders for the win totals. And I think the podcast will be starting up very soon on the Sports Gambling Podcast for that. So make sure you check out Ryan and Sean for that. As we move on to the reason why you guys are all here, and it's the Champions League final between the Tottenham Hotspurs and Liverpool, the miracle final, as I call it, as um, both these teams needed to overcome massive obstacles to get to this final. Despite that, the bookies still have Liverpool as the strong one to two favourites to win this game. Uh, Tottenham, uh, sorry, to win this trophy. Tottenham are available at six to four. The 90 minutes odds see Tottenham at three to one, 13 to five the draw and Liverpool best price of even money. Now, 
looking at these odds, you would think that they've looked very much at the 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 Premier League table and thought Liverpool are a better team than Tottenham. They've also beaten them twice in the two games these two teams have played this season. Therefore, uh, will make Liverpool the strong favourites. They're also the team that disposed of tournament favourites Barcelona. However, in the quarterfinal rounds, Tottenham disposed of the tournament favourites at that time, Manchester City. Um, even though it was down to a VAR goal, Tottenham was still the team that qualified with Man City having a VIR goal chalked off and Sergio Aguero missing a penalty in the first leg. But this is the kind of stuff that makes you wonder if Tottenham's name is on the trophy. That's an expression we use here, uh, name on the trophy or whether it's written the stars. There's, there's not multiple ways to look at it, but Tottenham have had a ton of luck. They firstly advanced with only eight points from the group. Uh, they started this tournament with three defeats. Uh, they breezed past Dortmund, but they needed a VAR disallowed goal against Manchester City. And that's after Aguero missed the penalty in the first leg. And then they had the miracle comeback against Ajax where they needed three goals in the second half and got them all through a Lucas Moore hat-trick, including a 95th minute winner but does that override the massive miracle of Liverpool who pretty much had a very straightforward route all the way to the semi-finals until they were destroyed by Barcelona 3-0 in the first leg moved out to 16-1 to to qualify 40-1 to for the tournament and then somehow managed to overcome that deficit and beat Barcelona 3-0 and got amazing performances out of Derek Origi and Jordan Henderson in that game and won it without Mo Salah even playing now what is the bigger result it doesn't really matter all that matters is if we can work out whose name is actually on this tournament. And if you look at the number of things that have happened to, to favour Tottenham, you would say it would be Tottenham's name that's on the tournament, despite the fact that Liverpool have had, in my opinion, the more miraculous result. I would say it's more miraculous to turn around a three-goal deficit against Barcelona than it is to turn around a three-goal deficit against Ajax. But the way Tottenham did it and getting in a 95th minute makes it a pretty 50-50 argument. Uh, one thing I will say is, um, God, what happened to Barcelona? They went into that Liverpool game as the even-money favourites to do the treble. They were even money to do the treble. They were one to three to lift the Copa del Rey and they were one to two to lift the Champions League. And somehow they've only come away this season with the league title, which they wrapped up months ago. They've blown the Champions League after a terrible performance against Liverpool where the, the people already wanted the manager sacked. And then they went and lost the Spanish Cup at the weekend. I wouldn't be surprised if Barcelona sacked their manager and they're one of the teams that are looking at Mauricio Pochettino, who, if he wins the Champions League, will be wanted by all of the major clubs in Europe. That includes Manchester United, despite the fact they have Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. That includes Barcelona. And that may even include Bayern Munich and PSG, even though PSG have just extended the contract of Tuchel, surprisingly, and Bayern Munich have ended up winning the domestic double in Germany, I would still think that people will be looking at Mauricio Pochettino because this is a monumental achievement to to win this. It's a monumental achievement even to be here, especially after the number of obstacles Tottenham have had to overcome. Remember, this is a team that only qualified with eight points. This is a team that lost the first three games. This is a team that have been fought, performed miracle after miracle to be here. And this is a team, of course, that didn't sign any players in the transfer window. But 
on paper, I believe that the bookies have got this right. They they should be the underdogs for this game. I, I did what I usually do for these um, games that are tough to call and made a combined 11. And when I did my combined 11, I ended up making it 7-4 in favour of Liverpool. The goalkeeper, I went with Alisson over Loris. I went for Trent Alexander-Arnold over Trippier because Trippier's had a poor season. A centre-back pairing of Alder Wilder and uh, Virgil van Dijk. Robertson at full-back. A midfield, I went for the trio of Wijnaldum. Ali and Ericsson. I wanted to get Ali into the team and I couldn't get him as a striker because the front three pick itself between Mane, Salah and Kane. However, in all of these positions, there were players in the conversation, which makes this a tough game. But Tongan and Alder Wilder is not a weak centre-back pairing. Allison isn't a million miles better than Loris. Both have different qualities. Danny Rose and Robertson was a tight decision at fullback. Trippier would have got in ahead of Trent Alexander-Arnold six months ago, especially after the World Cup, no doubt about it. The midfield was tough. There were loads of names thrown around from Sissoko to, to Henderson to Eric Dyer to Fabinho. And in the end, I went with the three that I went with <coughs> up front yes it's hard to leave out Salah and Mane but it was also hard to leave out Moore and Song and Harry Kane was really the only player that picked himself comfortably getting in ahead of um, Firmino in the striker's position but it is tough between these two teams the league results is indicative of that because Liverpool have beaten them 2-1 uh, one thing you'll on both occasions. And one thing you'll notice is that both teams to score cashed on both of those bets. And I would expect that to cash again, despite the fact that this game, it's a much longer price than it is in the first game. It's 10 to 11 to, to be yes and 10 to 11 to be no. And despite the fact that these two teams are better goalkeepers and better defences, I would think that both teams will find a way to find the net just because they did in the league, just because the attacks are so strong. Now, looking at the way these two teams are going to attack, I think Tottenham are probably going to start without Harry Kane, which is meaning they're going to attack with three men on the counter-attack. They're very, very good at that. They're very good on the fast break when they attack with Ali, Moore and Song, if that's the three that they go with. Kane gives them a different dimension. They're going to be more reliant on crosses and Kane holding the ball up and creating half chances and around the box for Kane. The only problem with that is, is that if Kane isn't fully fit, Van Dijk is going to mark him out of the game. Van Dijk isn't a centre-back you want to play against if you're half fit. Liverpool's keys to victory is going to be letting the fullbacks get forward, having more men in numbers up front and allowing Mane and Salah to take the chances that are created for them. However, for Tottenham to stifle that, it's key that they go man for man in this game and play the same formation as Liverpool. If Tottenham approach this game with a, th with a three met with three men at the back and trying to get their wing backs forward and back, Liverpool will have too much pace with the high press for Tottenham and they will win this game more easily. Tottenham must go like for like because I certainly do not fancy the three centre-backs of Tottenham managing to cope with the likes of Mana, Sale and from Salah. Mana, Mane, Salah and God. Mane, Salah and Firmino finally managed to get that out. <coughs> I don't know why it's so difficult for me. I do not fancy the, the back three of Tottenham to be able to cope with that. I do feel more comfortable with Tottenham approaching this with a back four. 
because I don't want those wing backs to be out of position, leaving Tottenham dealing with a three on three situation. And Liverpool can do that with their high press. They can press those three centre backs for the ball. And only one of them is a ball playing centre back, and that's Davison Sanchez. But at the same time, Davison Sanchez is defensively the weakest player out of the bunch there. If you are desperate to get um, both Sanchez and Alda Wilder in the team along with Vertonga, then it is an option to play Vertonga at left back. He did very well in, in that position when he played there against Borussia Dortmund, but I don't think Tottenham are going to do that. I do think they're going to play without Davison Sanchez. I am expecting them to go into this with a back four of uh, Trippier, um, the Tongan, Alder Wilder and Rose. There's also some speculation that Serge Aurier may be preferred to, um, may be preferred to Trippi in this game because Trippi has had quite a bad season and he could be sold as well. And there's a number of clubs linked to him. I don't see that personally happening. I do see him being sold, but I don't see him not starting this game. I do think he will. Liverpool's team <coughs> is pretty much more straightforward. We all know what the back four is going to be. The only decision there is between Matip and Lovren. In midfield, Fabinho's going to play, Henderson's going to play, and Wijnaldum's going to play. I do think James Milner's just about going to miss out. And up front, of course, it's going to be Salah, Mala, um, Salah Mane and Fabinho. Why is it so hard for me to say? I have no idea. That's where this game is pretty much going to be won and lost. For an actual pick on this game, for an actual lock, um, I'm going to go for Tottenham on the double chance, which is available at 10 to 11. What that means is, is that you are taking Tottenham to avoid a defeat in 90 minutes. So Liverpool to win in 90 minutes is 10 to 11, and Tottenham to avoid a defeat in this game in 90 minutes is also available at 10 to 11. I think Tottenham can avoid a defeat in 90 minutes. This is not a pick on Tottenham. Tottenham. This is not a pick against Liverpool. All this is me. All this is is me saying that after such a vigorous Champions League season, where both these teams have had such an incredible journey to the final, I just have a distinct feeling that it's not going to be finished in 90 minutes. If you want the draw, the best available price on the draw is three to one. If you shop around, you will get three to one on that. I will be having a little bit of money on that. But for my luck, I'm giving myself the security of Tottenham to win the game in 90 minutes or the draw. So basically, I don't think Liverpool will get this done in 90 minutes. Yes, Liverpool can win it, but I don't think anybody's going to be doing this the easy way. I don't think there's enough distinct separation between these two teams for either one of them to win it convincingly. I especially don't think Tottenham... Uh, are going to uh, are going to be able to convincingly beat Liverpool. I think it's going to be by a goal either way if it's one in 90 minutes or it's going to be by a goal in extra time. Liverpool's extra time odds are 8 to 1, Tottenham's are 12 to 1, and both teams are as high as 14 to 1 to win this on penalties and it wouldn't surprise me for it to go there. And if you look at the penalty takers of these two teams again uh, I think that's another place where Liverpool have the edge. They they narrowly have the better goalkeeper and you have the likes of Firmino, Mane, Salah. And even when you run down the lineup, you would think to yourself that the fullbacks, Trent Alexander and Robertson will both be cap capable of taking penalties for Liverpool. Whereas after Harry Kane... Um, and and possibly Keir and Trippier, it's difficult to, uh, and maybe even Ericsson, it's difficult then to find any more penalty takers in the Tottenham team. Liverpool have a distinct edge in all areas of the pitch, aside from the fact that um, they have one overriding thing going against them, which has been the incredible luck 
and the name on the trophy factor that Tottenham have coming into this, which is in contrast to the luck that Liverpool have had in major finals under Jurgen Klopp and when chasing the Premier League title, of course. A lot of people will throw that same accusation at Tottenham and say, well, Tottenham have failed to win a trophy. Tottenham Tottenham aren't, aren't a team that can get it done when it counts. Tottenham haven't been in any major finals. Tottenham have been in an FA Cup semi-final and a League Cup semi-final. They lost the League Cup semi-final to Chelsea and last season they lost at Wembley to Man United I felt that was a very good chance for Tottenham to win a trophy seeing as the semi-final was at home and the final was at home and Wembley was at home ground last season but they failed to get it done prior to that they finished second in the league in the year Leicester won it but that was with a very low points total that Leicester won it and a lot of teams uh, failed to really challenge Leicester which is why Leicester were able to win it with such a low total yes coincidentally Tottenham were the team that finished second but were they really ever the strongest challenges no they're just a team that that had the strongest finish whereas Arsenal and Man City completely capitulated in the in the the latter half of the season when one of them two should have been the teams to take to take the ball by the horns and won the league but that was Arsenal's best chance uh, under Arsene Wenger in the in his final five six years to win the Premier League title but he couldn't he couldn't come through with it and in the end Tottenham couldn't either but I didn't, wouldn't say that Tottenham blew it in any way like Liverpool did when they had a massive seven-point gap and a chance to make it nine points before they had that draw against Manchester City, uh, sorry, against Leicester and then lost to Manchester City and gave Manchester City the ascendancy and... Manchester City took it. They ended up going on winning the league once they were in the driver's seat. Liverpool did take over at certain points, but Manchester City always had that game in hand and luck wasn't in Liverpool's side. Manchester City went on an incredible one. 14 wins in a row. Whilst Liverpool continued to drop points uh, in February with the nil-nils against Everton and Man United, Manchester City just kept winning since that since that Liverpool win and um, Liverpool ended up regretting the fact that they... Um, they lost that. They lost that seven-point lead. Liverpool have just been very unlucky under Jurgen Klopp. That's not to say they've been bad. That's not to say they won't win the league next season. That's not to say that they aren't just one or two players away from challenging. And this transfer window this season is going to be very, very interesting. Not just at Liverpool, but at all the clubs across Europe. As I said, a lot of teams collapsed this season. A lot of teams could have won the Champions League, but they failed to do so. PSG collapsed against Man United. Um, Barcelona collapsed against Liverpool. Juventus collapsed against Ajax. Atletico Madrid collapsed against Juventus. A lot of teams could be here, but in the end, we are looking at an all-English final between Tottenham and Liverpool. After this, there will be no more club football. This game will be the culmination of the club season. After that, we will be moving on to international season. We will start with the Nations League podcast. We'll be covering a little bit of women's football on that. And after that, we'll be focusing on the Copa America. At this point in time, I don't know how much coverage of the Copa America we'll be doing here on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network, whether it'll be one preview podcast, whether it'll be a preview podcast and then a second podcast on a knockout stage, whether it'll be weekly, whether it'll be daily. I don't know at this point. I don't think it will be daily, but there's a possibility it could be weekly coverage for the Copa America. Once I know and discuss it with Ryan and Sean, I will let you guys know. But if it's not, the coverage will all be over at lockbetting.com. There will be podcasts there all the time and there will be picks there all the time. Official picks going towards the PL. And as I said, the, the soccer package will also be including 
the World Cups of the Rugby World Cup and the Cricket World Cup and of course the Tennis Grand Slams to see us through till the soccer season comes back in August. In addition to that, you will also get all of the transfer picks and it will be a very, very interesting transfer window. As we said, a lot of teams collapsed this season in the Champions League and of course in the league. There were no real challenges to Barcelona in the Spanish League. Real Madrid didn't challenge for the league and they failed to retain their Champions League for the fourth time this season. Atletico Madrid are not hosting the Champions League final this season. They also didn't challenge for the Spanish League. They finished second in the league. They will want to spend money on players. Real Madrid will want to completely rebuild after their um, terrible season, including that 4-1 exit against Ajax. Juventus didn't quite have enough to challenge for the Champions League. They were eliminated by Ajax. Will they want to buy players? Will they want to possibly look at a new goalkeeper? Will they want to replace their aging defence? Will they be able to get any more players to accompany Cristiano Ronaldo? Or will they be solely reliant on Ronaldo to carry them in the Champions League once again and win another Serie A title? Will Inter Milan... Napoli and AC Milan spend money so that they can become challengers in Serie A. Will Paris Saint-Germain spend even more money and will they give it to Thomas Tuchel who's been giving another two years? Will they be able to keep hold of Neymar? They of course had a disastrous collapse in the Champions League this season and will they need to strengthen at the back if they are to become serious challengers? How many players are Manchester United going to buy? What couple of players are Liverpool going to add to their jigsaw in order to finally get over the line? Are Man City going to be stronger? Are Spurs finally going to sign some players? Are Arsenal going to spend some money to get into the top four? It's really, really a minefield out there with, with how many teams are going to be in the market. Bayern Munich, yes, they won the league and they won the domestic double. Are they still going to need to rebuild? Robin and Ribery are going. Other players are reaching that age as well. How many players are going to leave? Is Gareth Bale going to go on a free transfer? Is Alexis Sanchez going to leave Man United on, on, on a free transfer? Where's Paul Pogba going to be playing next season? It's going to be an unbelievable summer and um, there's going to be lots of transfer betting for that. And it's going to be a really, really exciting season next season. We're going to see loads of players at loads of different places and uh, one of these two teams this Saturday are going to be crowned as the champions of Europe going into next season which as I said is going to be one of the most exciting seasons of all but stay tuned because before that's going to be all the international football podcasts that I just mentioned that's it for me good luck with all of your bets as always and good luck to Tottenham Special.